The Sports Dance. Hey everyone and welcome to The Sports Dance. I'm your host Greg and that sound you hear in the background faintly is Knicks fans still crying over what happened at the lottery on Tuesday night. I mean, do you feel bad for them? Because I don't. Tanking, there's risks with all the tanking. There was three teams that had a shot to get the number one pick. The Knicks, the Suns, and the Cavs. None of them got it. It was the Pelicans. Exactly. That was my thought. It was blank. But yes, I'm here for another week, and we're going to get into the NBA right away, starting with what I've said, the lottery. The Zion sweepstakes, essentially. We all knew it was every team hoping to get that number one pick to get Zion Williamson. And who got it? The Pelicans. In a sense, I was very glad it wasn't the Grizzlies, just because New Orleans is one thing. Memphis, whole different thing. At least in New Orleans, there's the chance AD stays. If not, you got Drew Holiday. What do you get in Memphis? Mike Conley, 31 years old, gets hurt all the time. Not the greatest situation. The fan base, love them. Justin Timberlake owns a part of the team. That's pretty cool. But outside of that, no offense, Memphis. I know i got a ton of listeners there. Just not, not the dream place for a star NBA player. Let's just leave it at that. But the Pelicans won. David Griffin, Lucky Charm, Dan Gilbert, and the Cavs ended up being in the out of the top four. Got the fifth pick, which just the look on his son's face was priceless. Even better, you have the Lakers sneaking into the number four pick. The Knicks ended up with the third pick, which isn't terrible, based on the fact only that there are basically three guys who are considered star potential players. Zion, John Morant, and uh, R.J. Barrett. So one of those three is most likely R.J. Barrett would be the one that the Knicks would go with unless they figure out a trade with New Orleans, essentially for Anthony Davis, because it's not going to be for the number one pick. You're not giving up Zion. Now, I know with the lottery, people were like, if Zion's not happy, he can go back to Duke. He hasn't hired an agent yet. To that, I say, stop it. Just stop it. That's not what's going to happen. Come on, be real with yourselves. He's not passing up millions upon millions of dollars as the number one pick to chance going back to college, getting hurt more seriously than he did this year, and losing out on a bunch of it. it. Makes no sense to waste another year. It doesn't. It just makes zero sense. So he's going to play in New Orleans. Whether a team can put a trade package together to pry him away from them, I don't know. Their ticket office looked pretty excited to have him. But the only thing I will say about the NBA lottery is I wish they showed the ping pong balls. They just do the cards. It's not that exciting. Show me the ball getting sucked up, putting into the spot, what team gets what. That would make it way better. Why haven't they done that? Because there's probably some sort of tampering going on in the background. Who knows? That's what it seems, at least. But, hey, the Pelicans are going to lose their franchise player and get a new one. Pretty convenient, if you ask me. If the Knicks ended up getting Zion, though, 
rig galore would have been getting shouted from the rooftop from everybody. But they didn't get him. They got the third pick, and Patrick Ewing's face was so sad. Oh, it was so sad. I guess they only had a lukewarm envelope and not a frozen one. If you don't know what that means, just go look it up. Type in frozen envelope Knicks. It will all make sense to you. It's like a great NBA conspiracy theory. So, Zion just really just don't have a lot of beignets. That's all we ask. Because if you do, you're going to look more like Booger from ESPN than uh, a basketball player. But moving on, we're going to get into the NBA playoffs. Both conference finals have started. We already had, both teams have already had one game. We're going to get into the Milwaukee-Toronto series first because there's been one game only, and that's it. And then we'll touch on Golden State and the Blazers, who played again last night. So Toronto-Milwaukee, we all knew it was going to come down to who's going to play better, Giannis or Kawhi. The Greek Freak versus the Claw. Greek Freak won the first round. Plain and simple, the Raptors have no chance against Milwaukee if they play Kawhi the entire game like they did. You can't drive him into the ground. You need to give him breaks. You try guarding the Greek Freak for a majority of the game. And then when he's not in, trying to play catch-up. Because that's what happened. To put it in perspective of how bad the Raptors were in the fourth quarter alone in a close game, Kyle Lowry, yes, that Kyle Lowry, who never seems to show up in big moments in playoffs, was the only one to hit a basket in the fourth quarter. If you weren't named Kyle Lowry, you were 0 for 15. That includes Kawhi. Not good. Not good at all. That's not how you're going to beat the Bucks. The Bucks are a big, deep team. They have a lot of big guys. I mean, Brooke Lopez looked like Brooklyn next Brooke Lopez in his prime. But he could hit three-pointers. Like, it was ridiculous. The guy, he was the best player in the game. Things I never thought I would be saying when it came to the playoffs in 2019. But he is. It was, it was nuts. It was crazy to watch. They're a big team. They're a physical team. Toronto has to figure out how to get Kawhi some breaks in the game. Because if they don't, series is over in four. Maybe five. I'm still going with the Bucks. I think the Bucks are going to be the team to make it from the East. It's going to be the Greek Freaks' time to reign over the East for the next few years. I mean, to put it, the guy is just entering his prime, which is scary. When you think about it, he hasn't even hit his peak years. He's he's the new LeBron. He's the new LeBron. Speaking of which, before we get to Golden State Trailblazers, we're going to do really skip because it touches on this. So, Shannon, if you would. Alright, so this weekend, really skip, I come to you with a comment skip made on Twitter and on Undisputed, because for some reason a clip of it came on my timeline, I saw the tweet, I saw the clip, 
And I had to hit play. I had to hear it for myself. I had to hear it with my own ears what was being said. Skip Bayless was given the option of taking a Ben Simmons right now or LeBron James going into year 17. Guess what he said? Just just guess what he said. You guessed it. He said he would take Ben Simmons. Now, I know what you're probably thinking. But hey, LeBron's going into his 17th year. It's crazy talk. Why would you take somebody that old? He's 34, yes. But he's still in peak physical condition. Not only that, think about what we're talking here. If you had to give me one season right now of one of the two, who am I taking? I'm going LeBron James. He's still a top 10 player in this league. He may not be the best anymore. He was for about 15 years, though. It's a pretty good run. And to be top 10 in year 17 of your career is outstanding. Ben Simmons is a great player. Don't get me wrong. He's 22. He's young. He's talented. But let's just look at facts. LeBron James and Ben Simmons, you can look across the board regular season. Similar stats. For the most part. But the reason I'm taking LeBron and why Skip Skip is nuts to say he's going to take Ben Simmons over LeBron James in the 17th season is the simple fact of LeBron, one, knows how to take a three-pointer and make it. And two, when it comes to the playoffs, LeBron James doesn't shrink in the spotlight. Ben Simmons does. That's all he does. Look at last year against the Celtics. What did he do? Disappeared. He was so bad, they were leaving him wide open, challenging him to take jumpers. And he did nothing. Disappeared. LeBron? Yeah, you can look at a few different games he's had in the playoffs that were not the best. But granted, every star player has that. Michael Jordan had games where he wasn't his best. But to sit here and say, I will take a young Ben Simmons over an old LeBron James, which is simply all the argument is, is nonsense. It's crazy talk, Skip. I will put a case of Diet Dew on it. That's how confident I am. And this wasn't even like a random, just him trying to troll tweet. This is an actual thought of his. I heard him explain it. He made all the points of, yes, they're at the same level, but I want I want the young guy, I want the ball handler that can just, you know, do his thing. Well, Skip, the problem is Ben Simmons can't do all the things. LeBron James can. LeBron James, at 34 years old, can do just as much and more than Ben Simmons. The only thing that you would take Simmons for over anything that LeBron does is defense. He's young. He's got the young legs. He can play better defense right now. That's it. Grant, I will give you that. But give me LeBron. Give me close to triple doubles every game in the playoffs over Ben Simmons, who can't hit a three-pointer, disappears in the spotlight, and just plain and simple is not as talented as LeBron even going into year 17. It's just fact skip. Like, really skip. Think about what you just said. Think about what you said, put out into the world, and you go home and just stop talking about it. That's it. That's all I ask. It's a lot to ask of him. I understand. 
I know you're like, Greg, that's a lot of asked for me for you to listen to listen to this rant. I understand. That's why I'm going to be done with it. But just plain and simple, Skip Bayless said he'd take Ben Simmons right now over LeBron James going into his 17th year. One can hit a three-pointer. One, I don't even think, attempt at one. It's as simple as that. This has been really Skip. Alright, let's talk about the Trailblazers and Warriors because we have to. The Warriors don't have Kevin Durant. They didn't have him for game one. They didn't have him for game two. They're probably not going to have him for game three and potentially the whole series if it goes past four games, which at this point, who knows if it actually will because Trailblazers in game one had no chance. Splash Brothers came out and were just unstoppable. You weren't going to stop Steph, who hit nine three-pointers. You weren't going to stop Clay. They just had everything clicking, and the Trailblazers came out kind of looking like they knew that. It's a shame, but that's what happens. They came in. I think they were a bit shell-shocked. They're not a team that's used to being at this point, and it showed. Game two, whole different story. Game two, Trailblazers should have won. Why? Because they had a 15-point lead at halftime. And everybody knows third quarter is the Warriors' quarter, and that's what they did. Stephen Clay came out and I think dropped 24 points combined for the third quarter. Got them right back in it to the point where they won game two. They won by three, even with Steph Curry going four for 14 from three-point. His brother, Seth, who took way less three-point shots, had as many three-pointers as he did. And the Trailblazers still lost. When it came down to crunch time, they just couldn't do it. They choked. Damian Lillard, last possession of the game. Had a chance to tie it up. What happens? Iguodala pokes it away. He recovers. He panics. He tries to put up a shot. Iggy blocks it. Game. That's it. Warriors just every time find a way to win. Doesn't matter what it is. No KD, doesn't matter. I will say, if they have no KD in the finals against Milwaukee, who I think will be there, I actually think then they lose. But at that point, Kevin Durant will probably come back stronger than ever, and they'll just cruise right through. And if I sound bitter, it's because I'm a little bitter. Only because... Yes, we give the Warriors credit for winning without KD. But at the same time, they still have Steph, who's a two-time MVP. Clay, who's an all-star. Draymond, who's been an all-star the past few seasons. So it's not like they're lacking talent. The amazing thing is they're winning with the bench depth that they have. They have none. Their bench is not a bench you would look at and go, they can help me win a championship. That's just not how it is. I think the funniest thing about this series, though, to watch has been Steph and Seth and the family. Parents having to flip coins of who to cheer for. Their wives and all of them having to get along while one of their husbands is getting crushed, essentially. Two games to none before they go back to Portland. 
But if the Trailblazers wanted to make any sort of statement, they had the chance. And they didn't. They blew it. There is no Kevin Durant. One of the top three players in all of the NBA is not on the floor. And you can't do anything. The Rockets couldn't. And now the Trailblazers couldn't. Which lends me to the question. Are the Warriors better without Kevin Durant? Now, I know what you're thinking. I might be crazy. But without Kevin Durant, they have not lost a game. They lost two in the Rocket Series with him. Coincidence? I think not. But, you know, I figured I might be crazy. I'm just going to put it out into the Twitter world. See what people think. So I said, we all agree. The Warriors are better without KD, right? 53% said yes. 32% said no, but with a wink face. Nobody said no, like actually no. And then 16% said I wasn't very bright. Now that 16% is probably correct. The Warriors with KD are definitely a more talented team than they are without him. But the Warriors play a lot freer when KD isn't there. They don't just give it off to KD and go, okay, you go make your shots. The floor's opened up more. Steph and Clay get way more shots off, get way more comfortable, could get going. Draymond kind of runs point, gets passes going. They look like they did before he got there, which was still, remind you, a very talented team who had won a championship. And not only that, all of them were all-stars. They had three all-stars already at that point. So Katie just added an extra all-star and an extra weapon on offense. And without them, they're not missing a beat. Clearly. They're up 2-0 in the Western Conference Finals. Can Portland maybe, you know, take home court advantage when they're at home and win the two games and make it a best of three? They could. But now you have the chance KD might come back. This was your opportunity to take home court away and show that the Warriors might be weak. The Warriors aren't weak. They just proved that. Plain and simple. Even when Steph wasn't hot from the three-point line tonight didn't matter he still dropped 37 points he almost had a triple double he had eight rebounds eight assists dame lillard had 23 points and five rebounds and 10 assists so i mean good stat line but when it came to crunch time couldn't do anything last night and it's just i mean put it in perspective what the warriors did it's one of the top three largest halftime comebacks ever in the shot clock era 15 points The only other time it happened was when the Spurs did it against the Warriors in 2017. So, Trailblazers blew it. That's that's really all you can say about that. But, on a lighter note, if you're looking for cheap tickets, check this out. Did you know a recent NBA basketball ticket on 12-ounce sports radio was only $5? That's right. You can buy event tickets on 12 Ounce Sports Radio for extremely low prices. Go to www.12OunceSportsRadio.com and click the event tickets page on the menu and browse. You won't believe how easy and inexpensive it is to attend your next event. So be sure to go to www.12OunceSportsRadio.com and click the event tickets page on our site. Alright, now let's talk some hockey real quick. And plain and simple, I'm just going to get through the boring, dominant stuff before we're talking about the most controversial call maybe in the NHL playoffs in a very, very long time. The Boston Bruins 
are going to the Stanley Cup Finals. Is it surprising? No. I mean, most knew that in the East, at least, they had a very good shot of advancing to the Finals just because of the path they had to get through after Tampa Bay got knocked out. Did anybody expect in the Eastern Conference Finals for the Hurricanes to just be laying down, do nothing, and basically just give it to the Bruins? No. But that's what happened. I mean, the Bruins dominated games one, two, three, and four. And that's why they swept. Plain and simple. That's all it came down to. The Bruins were the clear-cut better team. And it answers the age-old question of who would win in a fight, a bear or a hurricane. Plain and simple, bear every time. So besides that, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a wrap on the Bruins making the Stanley Cup Finals. I mean, they dominated. Tuka Rask was amazing. He was a brick wall. He was like having a walrus in the net. Nothing got by him. That's it. Now on to the worst call ever. You all know what it is. And that's why it's this week's Boo You Suck. Boo You Suck. Oh, that's right. This is this week's Boo You Suck moment. And I can't not talk about it when I'm talking about the NHL playoffs. Sharks Blues, game three on Wednesday night, ended in overtime in a 5-4 win for the Sharks. Did you watch it? No? Well, then you missed one of the most controversial endings, maybe ever. I mean, the refs absolutely blew it. And it was clear as day what they missed. People in the stand saw it, people at home saw it, everybody saw it. Except the four refs on the ice and how that does that happen, nobody knows. And it, was, it wasn't reviewable. That's the crazier thing about it to me. I am not a huge hockey rule fan. I am not a huge hockey fan. But Stanley Cup playoffs, I do watch. I've said this before. I said it at the beginning of all of this. So if you didn't watch it, here's what happened. Sharks, Blues, overtime. I know that was just so dramatic. There was a hand pass in front of the Blues goal by a Sharks player. He batted it with his hand, clear as day. He used his hand, not a stick or anything like that, when he was on the ground. Passed to an open man, shot on net, goal, game over. That was it. That, that was it. It was a hand pass. Hand passes are illegal in hockey, from what I found out. Hand passes are not reviewable on a goal in hockey, I found out. The Blues completely got screwed over in this whole thing. Plain and simple. Clear as day, you even ask Sharks fans, they may not admit it, but they'll probably have a smirk on their face. Because it was awful. How, I mean, I as a sports fan, and just in general, feel terrible for Blues fans. Like, if... Think about how Saints fans must have felt. Now, increase that. Because as much as you don't want to be like the pass interference was bad, this is even worse. And if you don't know what hand pass is, plain and simple, it's a player shall be permitted to stop or bat a puck in the air with his open hand or push along the ice with his hand, and the play shall not be stopped unless, in the opinion of the on-ice officials, he has directed the puck to a teammate or has allowed his team to gain an advantage. Um, 
I would say the, a goal that wins game three of the Western Conference Finals is an advantage. Now, okay, I'll go back to the whole Saints-Blues thing because, granted, now that I put a little more thought into it, the Saints was a little worse for the fact that one game decided it all. That game decided who went to the Super Bowl and who did not, and that pass interference was egregious that they missed. Just plain and simple. Everybody will tell you that. This was just so bad because of how blatant it was as well. And it cost a game. In a sport that there are reviews on goals, if a rule is that you cannot directly hand pass to a player to gain an advantage, it should be reviewable if there was a thought that it was. How it's not, I don't know. That is what boggles the mind. This would be like a guy sliding in at home plate in baseball being out by a mile, the ref say, the ump saying he's safe, game over, no review. But everybody knows what happened. Guys on the shark knew exactly what happened. Guys on the blues knew exactly what happened. It was terrible. Refs, for some reason this year, more than most years I can remember in the past, have played major roles in deciding games. We saw it in the football we saw it now in the NHL. We've seen it in baseball. I mean, every single sport. NBA, we had Rockets, Warriors, all the controversy. Every single playoffs, every single sport has had an issue with the refs. Why? I don't know. Everybody's always had issues with refs. Refs usually, though, when you look at it and really look at it, usually are making the correct call or you could say it's borderline. A lot of times this year has not been borderline, has been fairly obvious, and the refs have just flat out gotten it wrong. So it's the refs that are the boo you suck part of this. Because don't blame the Sharks players. It's not like you're supposed to stop and be like, passed it with my hand, got an advantage, doesn't count. No, because guess what? If you get the advantage, you're not saying anything. Because you can bet Rams players weren't like, uh, yeah, pass interference, you should give them the foul. Like, that's not what happened. Rockets, same things. It's not like Steph Curry and Kevin Durant was, and Clay Thompson and all of them were like, yeah, we actually fouled them a bunch. So you might want to give them some free throws on us. Like, that, that was our bad. No. You're going to take the advantage. You're going to see if you can get away with it. Sharks got away with it. Sharks got game three win to go up in the series 2-1. Luckily, the Blues have to at least win, not win, have two more games where they can't lose to the Sharks. So it's not like one game decided at all. So that was terrible wording by me, but you get the gist. The rest, though, I mean, you can bet there's going to be a rule change this year when it comes to that. Just like there's going to be in football that they're going to test out. Because you can't have that happen. You can't have playoff games especially end like that. You can't have them end on such an egregious missed call where everybody, the players on the ice, everybody's pointing at it, saying to the refs afterwards, hey, this happened. you got to do something about this. You just can't. That's not how games should be played. That's not how games should end. I don't know much about hockey, but I do know what's right and wrong. And that was wrong. The refs were wrong. They need 
if I was a player, I know I have to get over this quick. But in the press conference, you bet I'm saying who the ref was, who the refs were that did not see this, blew it for us, and I will take my fine. I'll take it. Because guess what? More than likely, ownership's going to pay for it because they're. I'm just saying what they're thinking. If I know my owner's cool, I am voicing what I feel. And to top it all off, it happened in front of, if you haven't seen the story, in front of a little girl named Layla who had some autoimmune, terrible disease. She's been in her house for the past, in the hospital only for the past four months. She finally got the clear to go out into the world, see her blues, and they lose in a heartbreaking fashion. If you weren't a fan of hockey, if you're not a fan of just the blues or the sharks in general, fan of anybody else, you wanted the blues to win last night probably just for her. I did. I was pulling for the blues for that reason. It's a great story. And by great story, I mean, it's just, it just makes you feel good. It's always good to see kids happy, especially sick kids. You always want to see that. Something put a smile on their face. But the refs, you took that away. You took that away from her. You took that away from Blues fans. You took that away from the game itself. It was a great game. Maybe the Sharks win a minute later. Maybe they win in general, just in overtime. But now they won, and there's controversy surrounding it. They win the series 4-3. You can bet this is all you're going to hear about for the rest of the season until next year. Because you may have just blown the Blues' chances. We won't know, but you may have just done that. So, refs, this is why. You suck. All right, this week in the golf world, we have the PGA Championship playing at Bethpage Black, which is a course not to be trifled with, unless your name is Brooks Kopka. That is right. That man went out on a mission yesterday to dominate the course, And that's exactly what he did. He shot a 7-under. A 7-under, which is a course record for Beth Page Black. Just phenomenal round. Seven birdies. The guy was unstoppable. He is the defending PGA champion. So this is his tournament. I mean, you defend your championship, you got to come down and throw down the gauntlet. And that's exactly what he did. Now, I didn't get to give my predictions because it's Friday, but based off my DraftKings lineup, you could clearly tell. I believe in Brooks Kopka. He's my number one choice. He was my number one pick. I based the rest of my lineup on him, his salary, and it's worth every penny right now. He was phenomenal. Now, I haven't checked that much today. So I know certain guys, Tiger just started a little bit ago. He was plus two yesterday. And the worst thing about it is I can't fault Tiger. He hasn't swung a club since the Masters. And by swung, I mean played a competitive round. The last shot he took before this was his putt to win the Masters. Quite honestly, did not think Tiger was going to come in and win this. I would hope he'd be competitive. I would hope he'd make the weekend. That's all we can ask for. Tiger finished in the top 20 and made it somewhat competitive and was like only a few shots back. People would be happy. Nobody would be disappointed by that. I'm disappointed for the fact that he was a plus two because he made in a four hole range, two birdies, a par and an eagle. He shot him to one under. 
after being plus two. And you know, thought you thought maybe Tiger made the turn. He was going to turn it on, get a few more shots to go under, maybe three, four under. It just didn't happen. And that's all right. I mean, you still have today. Hopefully he makes the cut. I don't know what the cut line is going to be set at. My guess is it's going to be hovering somewhere around that plus one, plus two range. So he's in the range. Really depends on what Kupka did this morning. Again, I haven't really checked, so by the time this got submitted, couldn't tell you. But Tiger, you know, at least he's there, he's healthy, he hasn't pulled out. For everybody else, you got all the regulars in the mix. You got Ricky Fowler, you got Horschel, Tony Finau. I mean, Jordan Spieth is even, you know, at least putting it out there. Who knows what will happen with him. But just in general, PGA Championship, it's Brooks Kopka's to lose. I also just really enjoy saying his name because I feel like I'm saying it with an accent. I don't know if that's coming off, but I'm enjoying it. And I mean, the PGA Championship isn't as grand as the Masters, but it's still a fun time. It's enjoyable. From everything I've seen from it, guys are having a good time while there. If you haven't checked it out, there's a podcast called Foreplay by Barstool, who the guys there have had like full access. And it's actually been quite enjoyable to see like players not on the course, see them off the course, having a good time, joking around. But in general, it's Kopka's to lose. He has every single tool he needs to win this. One, he had a seven-shot lead going to the second day. And by seven-shot lead, I mean he was seven under, doesn't have a seven-shot lead. Second was three under. And so it's fantastic. It's where you want to be. Course records always usually mean a good thing, especially after the first round. So I'm putting my money on him. Going for his fourth major, I believe. And he's one of those guys, he's he's kind of quiet, doesn't say much, and I'm fine with that. One thing he did say is, yeah, he wants to chase that 18 major goal. He wants to be the guy that gets to it. And there's nothing wrong with saying that. People are like, ooh, you can't say that. Like, Tiger said that. Okay. He wants to be like Tiger. He wants to be like the greats. He wants to be one of the greats. And we shouldn't fault him for that because he's not a big, you know, personality guy. He doesn't come out. He doesn't do tons of commercials. He does not like this face that when you think of golf, you think of him. No, you hear golf, you think of Spieth, you think of Dustin Johnson, you think of Tiger, you think of Phil. Those are the guys you think of. This guy, though, is the one that you should be watching. He was there right at the end of the Masters. He's going to be there, I think, at the end for the PGA Championship. And I think he's going to be the one holding up the trophy. He has it. He's been feeling it the past few years, and it's shown. He's won three majors. Again, like I said, he's defending PGA champion. This is his to lose. So, we'll see what happens. But with that, I'm not going to talk about golf that much because it's only been one day. Can't really get into too much detail because I'm also not a golf expert. I know what I know, and then I, do- I stop when I don't. It's really that simple. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to hear from, actually, a company called Yamble, who, if you don't like to gamble, try Yamble. It's Y-A-M-B-L-E. Here's the ad. Yamble is the brand new sports predictions app that lets you predict what will happen on the next play or next few minutes of a game. 
Place your takes on the game and rack up points as they play out. Highest scores get paid out real cash every game. It's like HQ Trivia, 100% free to download and play, with payouts each game. Just search for Yamble on the App Store or Google Play. They're running games nearly every night during the NBA playoffs, so download now and start yambling. All right, time to talk a little baseball. A lot going on in baseball. Season start to heat up. We know getting into that closest summer months. June, July, August, obviously, is when the big moves are made. You have the all-star break. You have trade deadline. You have all that. But right now, everybody's finally getting into the swing of things, even Chris Davis. Yes, that Chris Davis, who started off the season without getting a hit in about a million at-bats, is actually starting to look like an actual baseball player. He's been hitting almost a 280 clip since he finally started hitting the ball. Not at somebody or striking out. It's been impressive. But what's been more impressive is the pitching side of things. And this week, we've had two different pitching performances that really show how guys are starting to get in the groove. First, we're going to look at Chris Sale, who did something that nobody really ever has happened to them, which is he struck out 17 batters and got a no decision. Think about that. He struck out 17 guys and got a no decision. He struck out the first six batters of the game. That's insane. He was really feeling it, which is great for Red Sox fans, especially like myself, who I've said before I am one. Again, don't turn off the radio. They stunk, and he stunk. Terrible. I asked if the contract ink had dried. He was that bad. He's finally started to turn around. That 17-strikeout performance really kind of shows it, but he's still got a no decision. Doesn't happen all that often. It was nice to see, though, especially because, you know, his arm looked good. His pitches looked good. He was locating. He was doing what he needed to do. He looked like the ace that we signed for a lot of money. And speaking of a lot of money on a pitcher, the Cubs. Finally, you Darvish. You did something right. You struck out 11 guys. Something that hadn't been done since 2017. And the key? Taking your time? Yeah, that's right. Apparently, Darvish's whole thing was he really slowed down. He used up the whole time for the pitch clock. All that stuff really took his time. Eased into every single pitch. And it worked out for him. I mean, if you don't know, which I don't know how you don't by now, the Cubs signing Darvish last year had started to look really, really ugly. I mean, he was awful last year for the amount of time he pitched before he got hurt. And he wasn't looking so great this year. Maybe he's finally putting all the pieces together and going to go back to what he was in Texas. You can only hope for that sake because, I mean, he was he was pretty good in Texas. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, obviously. He was pretty good. The Cubs were hoping they would get somebody similar to that. They didn't. Now maybe if he really takes his time, gets back to being comfortable, because apparently throughout his whole career, all he's ever said is, I want to take my time. I want to go slower. I want to make sure he's methodical. Can't blame him, but in today's baseball, you don't have time to be methodical as much as you might like to be. We can't have a minute and a half between each pitches. It's just not possible. Therefore, he took as much time as he could and was allotted, used it to his advantage, and actually had a really good pitching performance. So good for him. I'm sure Cubs fans, it's kind of a bit of a sigh of relief. It doesn't get him out of the gutter. No, not by a long shot. He is still in the gutter, still down in the basement, because honestly, one performance isn't going to do it for you. 
I can at least say for Sale it helps because we saw what he did last year. We've seen his track record. He doesn't usually have that many bad starts. So World Series hangover, maybe it was a thing, especially for a guy like him who's not used to pitching that much in a season. But Darvish, on the other hand, he just stunk. That's really what it was. And it was for a while. So good for him. He got a bunch of strikeouts. Those are some of the pitching things, at least looking good. The other things that were looking good this week and actually the past few weeks are rookies in baseball. If you didn't see it, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. finally got over his home run list streak, which he's only been in the majors for like two or three weeks now. And the fact he hadn't hit a home run yet, kind of surprising. But man, did he make up for it. He hit two in one game in San Francisco to total over a thousand feet of home runs. That's just, I mean, the guy has pure raw power and it is impressive. If you don't think it's impressive, I don't really know what to say to you. Another rookie that's made huge impacts outside of Vlad Guerrero Jr. has been the Red Sox' Michael Chavez. I don't know if you have watched at all. I get it. It might be biased because I'm a Red Sox fan and all that type of stuff. But overall, he has looked really good. He's, you know, second baseman, first base. He can kind of play third base. He's kind of a utility guy. But overall, he has looked wonderful. He has crushed home runs. He's up to, I think, seven or eight home runs now. And he's got a sweet nickname, Ice Horse. I mean, when you make it to the majors and in your first month of being up here, you get a sweet nickname like Ice Horse, you've made it. There's no going back. You are here to stay. Dustin Pedroia can get healthy. Doesn't matter. Chavez is here to stay. He has shown he can handle the major league level. He's a top prospect for the Red Sox. He has proven why he's a top prospect. I assume he will stay. I don't know how they're going to do it, especially like when Brock Holt's back. All these other, they got a lot of infielders. Some of those guys are going to have to learn to play outfield if they want to stay on the roster. Or there's such a thing as trades. Hate to say it, but maybe Jackie Bradley Jr. I mean, phenomenal glove. Glove makes up for what he lacks in his bat. But at some point, you're going to have way too many talented guys, which is not a bad thing to have. But it would help with helping with the relief pitchers and all that other fun stuff that the Red Sox are lacking in because there's really only a few relief pitchers that they have. And then the other rookie who came in with a bang just the other night, and I'm doing this specifically for Scott at Craft Brew, is Austin Riley. First hit of his major league career as a Brave, home run. It doesn't get better than that. And if you tell me otherwise, I mean, what is it? Unless you're a pitcher and you pitch like a no-hitter or perfect game in your first career start, your first career major league at back getting a home run, it literally started with a bang. And there's really nothing better than that. At least not to me. They'd be like going into the NFL and your first pass as a quarterback is a touchdown, your first run, your first catch, all those different things are touchdowns. First pass thrown at you, interception. Like all those different things are like equivalent. But the coolest one to watch is a home run. I mean, you can't tell me otherwise. Unless it's like the most spectacular like catcher, run, and throw, whatever, in NFL history. Home runs always going to be the coolest. I mean, tell me otherwise. 
if you think the coolest thing to do when you're first time in any professional sport, when the first time you get to have a chance to show off is not hit a home run, I'd love to hear what it is. Again, you can tweet it at me at sportsstance underscore. It's two S's in the middle. For those of you that don't know how to find me. Or you can just type in sportsdance on Twitter in the search bar. I'd probably come up. If not there, find me on Instagram, Facebook, all those things. Just type in the sports dance. But I want to know. If there's something better, love to hear it. Because I don't think there is. Besides that, more injury news for the Yankees. I mean, granted, it's an injury we knew about. But Miguel Andahar, who was the runner-up in Rookie of the Year last year, who was supposed to be a key part of the Yankees team this year, is done for the season. He had a small labrum tear. He decided, I'm just going to get it fixed, get it done with. I mean, it's a smart move, healing it by itself. If it's not going to heal, the only option is surgery, and you're just delaying the inevitable. Get it done now. I mean, you lose the season, but hopefully you come back stronger next year. But props to the Yankees. They have had 17 guys go on the IL, and they've come away with only 16 losses. Excuse me. My bad. Didn't know that burp was coming. (laughs) That's on me. But yeah, they've had 17 guys on the injured list. 16 losses. I gotta give them credit. I mean, is it Aaron Boone? Maybe. Do they have a deeper system than most of us thought? I guess. It's just been it's been an impressive run. I mean, you gotta feel a little bit for Andahar. He had, a, again, like I said, really good season last year. Just injuries. You never know when they're gonna come up. They just happen. And there's really not much we can do about it. Besides that, not a whole lot to talk about, at least newsworthy-wise. If you want to take a look at the standings, the AL East is finally coming back to some normalcy with Tampa Bay, who started off running away with it, getting back in the mix with the Red Sox and the Yankees. Uh, One interesting thing in the Central, the Cleveland Indians are not the favorite anymore to win that division. That is your Minnesota Twins, so good for them. I mean, the Indians have been dominating that division the past few years, And I guess now they finally think the Twins have enough firepower to kind of go against it. They've been playing well. They're up to 27 wins. Astros do what they do. Uh, The biggest surprise is with Philadelphia being in first in the AL East, Bryce Harper has been awful. For a guy that you have put so much money into over these next 12, 13 years, I forget exactly what the number was at this point. But in general, 10 plus years to be this bad, this early in his contract is concerning. He won the MVP. Like, what's going on? You're a M- former MVP, big time guy, big time money. You took all this time in free agency to decide where you were going to go. Tons of strikeouts, very low batting average. Not hitting that many home runs. I mean, you're a decent outfielder, Bryce. But it doesn't make up for what you're supposed to be doing at the plate. You're supposed to be the middle of the order guy, helping this team be an offensive juggernaut. And you're really actually holding them back. Not something I thought I was actually going to be saying, at least at this point. I figured the early season struggles were going to happen. But getting into almost June, I figured it was going to stop. I figured you were going to figure it out. That has not happened yet. Hopefully it does for your sake. Hopefully it does for the Philly's sake. Because you're an exciting guy to watch when you're really 
on a hot streak when you're really just playing at your top level. At this point, you're not fun to watch. Even your bow into the outfield, not that fun, not that exciting. It's going to be met with a lot of boos. You're playing in Philly now, Bryce. They're not kind to even their stars when they're not doing well. You can ask any of them. Donovan McNabb took him to a bunch of NFC Championships games. Does not matter. He plays bad, he got booed. Mike Schmidt goes on a cold streak, booed. I mean, just any guy, any team, doesn't matter. The Sixers who were in the playoffs, every time they lost in the playoffs, you thought the world was falling for how bad the fans reacted. So if you want to be loved in Philly, you will be loved to the utmost, but you got to play up to the level that we expect from you. And by we, I mean them, because I'm not a Phillies fan. I enjoy watching them, just not a fan, specifically of them. I'm glad I cleared that up, in case anybody was wondering. Besides that, uh, Christian Yelich, just absolutely dominating. It's up to 18 home runs. It's only May. Could he break the home run record? No. Could he get up past 50? Yeah. I mean, doesn't happen that often. Especially now. It seems like less and less guys are hitting it. Probably because they're not taking steroids. But he has just been a monster since the season started. National League MVP. Easily. Right now. I mean, tell me otherwise. Who else could it be? You don't put the guy that's hitting 18 home runs, hitting well, playing good defense. If he's not your MVP, I don't know who is. So back-to-back MVP, potential. Unless he really slows down, which I do you see happening? I don't. If you see it happening, well, then apparently you're clairvoyant because it doesn't look like the guy's going to slow down anytime soon. And last, but not least, we're going to talk about a first pitch. By who? Bruce Willis. Yes, die hard, sixth sense, that guy. You know who. Bald head, action hero. Been around forever. Throughout the first pitch at the Phillies game, and as we already said, Philly fans are brutal. He didn't even throw from the mound, and he bounced it. So that was immediately met with booze, which is hilarious. But come on, Bruce. What are you doing? One, throw from the rubber. If you bounce it right in front of the plate from the rubber, you get a little more respect. But it's not that hard. Even if you throw it high, just get it over the plate. Don't bounce it. You're better than that. You didn't make Die Hard and all these other great movies just to get booed for throwing a bad first pitch. But you did. Didn't you practice? Didn't you warm up? I've thrown on a first pitch once. I got selected as a kid in the minor leagues. It was awesome. I threw a strike. The other guy that threw out after me did not. I laughed. I was only 10, so don't blame me. But come on. I threw from the rubber. I got it over the plate. It was a great pitch. I'm not going to lie. I had a nice straight fastball right down the middle. Did I warm up? No. But I was also a kid. Come on, Bruce. I know, I know you're a little up there in age. Just get that shoulder warmed up. Take an hour. Whatever you got to do. Just get it over the plate. Now you join the ranks of like 50 Cent, who, granted, nobody will ever top the fact of how he threw it completely sideways. But now you get to be in clips with him. So congrats on that. Yeah. Good for you. All right, last, we're going to get to quick hits, so hit the sound. All right, let's get to some quick hits. 
It's a little thing we're going to do in the offseason for the NFL where it's just one or two quick little stories here for the NFL people because, let's be honest, we can never get enough of the NFL. All we want half the time is NFL talk. That's why ESPN, all these other things exist with NFL Live. That's nonstop football, 365 all year round. So here are the two quick stories from this week that have been the most interesting to me. They won't happen every week, but when there's one or two things that are kind of interesting, we're going to go with it. First is Joe Flacco coming out saying he will not be a mentor to Locke in the quarterback room. This shouldn't shock anybody. He didn't want to be a mentor to Lamar Jackson in Baltimore, partly because they're not nearly identical in any sort of way or even similar in any sort of way when it comes to being a quarterback. But also, Joe Flacco's 33. He still thinks he has gas in the tank. Can't get my words together. Still thinks he has gas in the tank. He's won a Super Bowl. He doesn't think he's going to be the guy that's there for a year and getting replaced. That's not what he's there for. It's not his job. Brett Favre didn't do it with Rodgers, even though Favre was definitely on his way out. Montana didn't do it with Steve Young. I mean, quarterbacks, it's not their job to mentor younger quarterbacks. Maybe trade notes. Maybe talk a little. You don't have to be his full-on mentor, though. Just be in the film room, dissecting film together. That's enough. And Flacco basically was like, I'm not going to just like take him under my wing and do stuff. No, he's my competition. Do you want to have your competition get notes from you to improve themselves to maybe take your job? No. It's as simple as that when it comes to that whole situation. So I don't fault Flacco. Probably not the best to say it out loud to the media and everybody listening and watching and all those people that like maybe the fact when quarterbacks mentor the young guys. But I mean... Just look at the Patriots, for example. Tom Brady, who you know will never lose his job, had Jimmy Garoppolo underneath him, who everybody loved. And basically he said, I'm not going to mentor him. Ship him out because I don't want to be threatened. And guess what they did? They shipped him out. I mean, there's 0% proof of that, and that's what happened. But, I mean, why would you trade that guy? He's a starter for the 49ers. Why would you trade him when he's your backup? So... That's all you have with that situation. The other situation, which is definitely more interesting, is Patrick Peterson of the Arizona Cardinals has been suspended for six games for PEDs. It was going to be eight games, but he's not going to go against it, so it got lowered to six. So he'll miss the first six weeks of the season, which will be the Lions against Baltimore, Panthers, Seahawks, Cincinnati, and Falcons. So it's not like he's missing big games. And it's also the Cardinals. Let's be honest, they're not doing anything incredible. It's just interesting because out of a lot of guys in the league, Patrick Peterson is one of the few that you do not expect to get taken out for PED use. He's been critical of other teams and players whenever they get caught doing things. So for him to come out and do something, you just kind of are like, okay, Two-Face. I mean, I don't want to say it like that, but that sounds harsher. But in general, it is what it is. So you kind of look at him harshly. I just did. And, I mean, you move on. But, I don't know. He start, I mean, To put it in perspective, he has started all of his games since he's been drafted. 128 games. 23 interceptions. I mean, that's a big gap on your defense for the first six weeks. Does this eventually maybe lead to Peterson getting traded? It might. Maybe the Cardinals are like, I mean, it's not worth it having him. They're in rebuild mode. We all know it. Cliffs Kingsbury, good luck to him. He got his quarterback. 
but they're rebuilding. Nobody expects them to go far. Get what you can for Peterson, even with a six-game suspension. But it's just interesting, looking at all these different, you know, you hear some of the names that get caught. He was just one you never thought would be. Never thought that name would come up. Those have been the quick hits. I mean, that's all I got for you this week with the NFL. If anything else comes out major, we'll catch up with it next week. That was quick hits. All right, so that wraps it up for the sports stance. Go enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the PGA Championship. Enjoy hockey if you're a Sharks Blues fan. Hopefully there's no more terrible, terrible calls for everybody's sake. Bruins, relax. You got plenty of time. And maybe the Blazers can figure out how to actually beat the Warriors. Probably not. I was clearly wrong about the Warriors so far this year. Thought they were going to crash and burn and not make the finals. And I'm looking kind of dumb right about now. Yeah, I can admit it. I mean, you never know. I'm still going to just pick against them every time because I'm bitter, like I said. But they're a fantastic team. They deserve all the success they've gotten, and it hurts me to say that. But that's it. That's the show. Have a good weekend. Again, if you haven't followed me on SportsStance underscore on Twitter, follow me on Instagram and Facebook. Don't forget to check out 12 Ounce Sports Radio. They do an awesome job. Check out all the great shows that they have on it. Scouts Team Radio, Craft Brood Sports, ton of other ones. Catch them all. If you don't catch them here, catch them on replay, online, on SoundCloud. Do, do it all. Rate, review, everything. So, yeah, that's it. Have a good weekend. Enjoy the nice weather. If you can, get out for a round of golf yourself, maybe some pickup basketball. Feel like a pro. Pretend like you're one of, pretend like you're one of them making millions. That little shot out of the bunker that goes in the hole or goes 10 feet from the hole that makes you feel awesome, enjoy that. All right? Have a good weekend, everybody. See you next Friday. The Sports Sports Dance.